a day where I was not very successful as a frontline worker and I had to suffer the issues that we provided them with the tools they had from a technology perspective. Learning for me is you have to be out there and you have to be doing what they're doing and understanding the challenges, both from a business and a technology perspective that you and your counterparts have. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Chris Bolt. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me, David. Pleasure is all mine. Cheers, cheers. Chris, for those of our listeners who may not know, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Sure. And let me start with who is hard. CARD stands for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. It's the largest provider of ABA in the industry, which stands for Applied Behavioral Analytics, which is for treating those on the autism spectrum. I'm currently the CIO there. Uh, I also have responsibility for the digital marketing efforts, and I'm also CTO for our school's global entity, which provides autism solutions for other companies in that space. Wow. It's quite a load of responsibilities and such a cool mission. My wife is a speech language pathologist, so I'm familiar tangentially with the work that I imagine your organization does. And it's great work. It's, great work. it's meaningful. And really, it was a mission that drove me to joining the company two years ago. That's amazing, Chris. I'm going to look forward to diving into the work that you guys are up to at CART a little bit deeper. But before we do, We'd like to start the episode with just one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with today. Sure. This comes from one of my great mentors over my career. It's a variation of the seats on the bus principle from Jim Collins, who most people will be familiar with, good to great. And she said, Chris, if you can't change the people, change the people. And you have to pause for dramatic effect there. And I don't really understand it. It sounds very harsh. But later, I'll tell a story about a positive outcome using that principle that she taught me. Essentially, what it boils down to is, for me, it's I'd rather have 10 A players on my team than 50 B players or 100 C players. Yeah, that's the truth. And I had this conversation with my coach, too, about how 
if I'm not getting what I want from an employee, what am I doing to touch, move and inspire that individual? And have I really made the effort yet? Or am I just trying to scrap it and move on? And nine times out of 10, it was that I hadn't put the time in to to really get them there. Totally agree. Yeah. So I'll look forward to hearing more about that story. And to that end, let's dive into Chris, your personal backstories. I know you've been associated with a, a number of really amazing organizations over the years, but how did you start out and how did you get to the point in your career that you're at today? Absolutely. As you can tell, I'm building off from around here. I grew up in the UK. Uh, I did a language degree, so I studied European languages and then I ended up going into the insurance field and just frankly hated that field. Thought I could use my language skills. But all that time, I was a closet coder and love the technology side. This is a few years back. The PC in the home was not as proliferant as it is today. I got a job with British Airways as a developer. Shortly after that, I and my wife decided to make the move to the US and traveled out to Texas, ended in Fort Worth. So what a cultural shock that was coming from London to Fort Worth, Texas. And I got a job with American Airlines. That was meant to be one year. I stayed nine years, had a great time there. And then I joined Accenture at the time for Lanson Consulting. Decided to get in the consulting side and later Sabre. And I spent a good part of my career earlier on in services side. So products, services, consulting. And I think that's actually such an important thing to do because today when I'm dealing with my partners, I understand where they're coming from. And I think that helps build more solid vendor relationships and can help us be mutually successful. After that, I've had a number of increasingly big the CIO roles. I joined Greyhound out, coming out of Accenture in 2008. Just had a great experience building the customer experience, focused on building our presence around mobile and online. But yeah, ultimately, I ended up at Card in 2021. David, this role is really the intersection of what drives me personally and professionally. I have a passion for helping those. I've been very blessed. I've been healthy. I've got three healthy kids. Not everyone has that blessing and that luck. So I've been very lucky to really be able to pay it forward now. I've had roles in nonprofits and might make a wish. And I'm active with a group called Best Buddies, which is a nonprofit helping those with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Now what I can do is every day I wake up and I'm helping to build business technology solutions that help those who need it most, those on the spectrum. I enjoy working with my counterparts and other members of the card team. We call them Cardians. They're our teammates. And we have a simple mantra, right? We're either delivering world-class therapy to our patients or we're supporting someone who does. And it's as simple as that. So for me, when I got the call to come here, it really did feel like a calling and a culmination of my journey. A lot of our listeners know this, but my mom's the president and CEO of a nonprofit in New Jersey called the Center for Great Expectations. We help them with their technology and she supports pregnant women and their children who often come from super traumatic backgrounds. And having two healthy daughters of my own, to imagine what it would be like to raise a child who in poverty, without a family that loves you, having been abused by whoever it might be, it's hard enough with having a family that loves me and having financial resources and all of that. Now, similarly, to raise a child that with autism or another who's on the spectrum, it's really hard. And it really resonates with me, the work that you're doing. 
it really is very impactful. You're right, David. And the nice thing for us is we do see those hard circumstances, but we also see the success stories. And we often get videos or testimonials from parents who say, look, this was life-changing for me and my family and thank you. And you're absolutely right. That is it. And it starts with one person. People get caught up with the fact that, oh, well, we can't do anything because it's like you're trying to boil the ocean, but it starts with impacting the life of one person, one person at a time. Exactly. So Chris, super cool journey, personally, professionally, and otherwise, what would you say is one of the most important things that, that you learned along the way over the course of your life, personally or professionally, and what was life like before learning it and after learning it? Let me go back to that story I told you, I was going to tell you in terms of seats on the bus. Yeah, this was actually my very first CIO role. And I was pressured, told I was being pressured by the CEO and others about one of the members of my team. So I was new to the role. And they said, look, Chris, we've got this head of infrastructure. His name was Jim. He's been around for many years. He's just not done there. And he's not the right guy. And frankly, I think they called him a dinosaur and said, you need to make space for him. No one had made that change ahead of that. And this was, had been going for, on for a while, but I was asked to take care of it swiftly. I'd never let go anyone in my life before, in my career before. I was terrified and I sweated. I, did, I lost sleep. I was terrified that day approaching when I scheduled the meeting with Jim. He and I had a, a relationship because he was helping me with infrastructure projects, et cetera. But this was not a day I was looking forward to. I came in that day, I think, I was probably sweating profusely when Jim came into my office. He sat down, we closed the door, and I said, Jim, I need to have this conversation with you, and I just want to let you know, one, you've been a, a great asset to this organization. And as I was going to continue the sentence, he said, Chris, it's okay. And Jim was the age I am now, right? So he was much more mature than I was at the time. He said, Chris, it's okay. I said, what do you mean, Jim? He said, it's my time. It's my time. And I know that, and I feel that. So I'm good with it. Let's work on a transition plan. I don't want you to be stressed out. I know it's stressing you out. And let's work on the plan. I'm ready for my next adventure. He must have seen the sigh of relief and my shoulders drop. And we worked on a transition. He was true to his word and just an amazing lesson. And what I realized was that I could have approached it differently. Obviously, I was very nervous because this is my first time doing this. It really was a lesson about sometimes people do have the wrong seat on the bus at the wrong time. And it's okay to have that conversation. But the key is do it in an empathetic and humane way. And people respect you for that. That makes a lot of sense. It's a, a great lesson. Now, obviously that was a challenging moment for you as a fairly newly minted executive. But when you think back, Chris, into your tenure, either from your consulting days or your days as a, a CIO, does a time stick out in your mind that you failed or that you had a really huge challenge, but you ultimately took a really profound lesson away from that instance? Yeah, I think so, David. I think back to my days, I was in consulting and I was the QA manager on a, a massive project at a client. And as we went through the QA process for this product rollout, it became very clear from the metrics that this project was not ready to go live. In talking to people, I understood that this was probably the fourth attempt to try and get this project over the line. And people had warned me that one of the senior people at the client 
was going to be held accountable in no uncertain terms as this didn't go live this time around. So again, no pressure at all. I went into this meeting and we had a go, no go meeting. There must have been like 45, 50 people in that room, including the senior person sitting right in the middle from the client side whose career may or may not be on the line with this implementation. And I knew that we weren't ready. The senior partner went around the room and started going, are you a go? Are you a no-go? Are you a go? Are you a no-go? As it went around the room, all the people that I thought had believed that it was not ready were saying, go, go, go. It got around to my side of the room. There was probably like no more than five people left to go after me. And I said, I've got the data. We've got the metrics. We've run all the tests we can. I'm afraid to say it is a no-go. And I saw that leader from the client look over me. It was like his eyes were burning through me. It was very difficult. There was deathly silence in the room. And we walked out. It was a no-go. And everyone was avoiding me and going out. Within a few days, people would turn up to me and go, that was a good call, Chris. That was a good call, gutsy call. And even the leader, he didn't get fired. And we went live a few months later. He came up to me and said, yeah, ultimately, that was the right call. But that day, I did not feel it. And I felt like I had not a friend in that room. It was a very uncomfortable feeling. But yeah, for me, the lesson was, you do have to be courageous when you've got the data and facts to back you up and stand your ground. And I was actually, again, respected more for that than if I'd actually just gone with a flow. Oh, that's a great lesson. And as a consultant, on to be honest, I've been on both sides of that. Young in my career, I would have probably been the one that said go, particularly young, wanting to, I also had the thing where I wanted people to like me. So I came to find, and now when I walk into a client or when we're starting to engage, I'll be very vocal about this, like right up front. I'm like, if you're expecting someone who's just going to go with the flow and all of that, that's not me. I'm going to be the one who challenges things tactfully, and I'm not going to do it arbitrarily. It's going to be, like you said, based on data, based on facts, but you can count on that from me. Now you might tell me, Dave, we appreciate that, but also there's this, and you might not know this about our organization. And then I might say, okay, no, that makes sense. But you don't want a consultant who's not going to challenge you. Sure. Yeah. That's ultimately what you pay for. hundred percent. That's a good one. Chris, I want to dive into your current role. Before we do, I just always at this point like to ask favorite book or literary piece, either that you're reading right now or all time. I listen to podcasts quite a lot, like a lot of our listeners. I liked Chasing Life, in particular with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. I think there's a lot of good life lessons there. I enjoy listening to that. From a book perspective, A Company of Owners by Dr. Darren Martin. That is an amazing read. Very simple. The One Minute Manager. You can read it very quickly. It teaches you and your team how to act like a company of owners, literally, and lead that way. And then I've read all the books by Sir Richard Branson. And I love his mentor, which is very simple. Happy employees make happy customers. And it sounds like it's a cliche and very simple, but it really does apply. I love what he does with Virgin. He just does an outstanding job. And I think that's true. I really think that's true because it comes through in their attitude, their empathy, all of it. Chris, now, so you're the CIO among other roles and responsibilities at the Center for Autism. Talk to me a little bit about your vision for ITN Digital and maybe some of the key initiatives you guys are working on. 
as it's derived from the overall mission uh, of the organization. Absolutely. When we look at what's important at CARD, clinical excellence underpins all of our operational goals and metrics. I work particularly closely with our chief clinical officer, and it's all about data, as you can imagine, and metrics and KPIs and moving the needle and understanding what makes a difference in a treatment plan and a therapy session with a patient. Those are key. What I particularly like about our relationship also is he is a big fan of bringing innovation to bear in this space. He and I partner. I'm always able to bring an idea to the table and say, why don't we take a look at this? This is worth a look at. Often he'll bring something to me. And he's a great partner in that. He's not off doing shadow IT or anything like that. He's bringing it to me and the team saying, you know what? This has a lot of merit. For example, the last year we were looking at some opportunities to leverage virtual reality, which has great potential in the autism space. And so it's how can we move the needle and really improve the care we give and collaborate on efforts like that and leverage those kind of technology platforms going forward. I love when I see the clinical teams and the IT teams playing nicely in the healthcare setting. You don't always see that, right? And you'd hope with a mission like yours that everybody could get with it. But I think it's also a function of the individuals themselves, the leaders themselves being willing to collaborate. It really is. And he's very collaborative. In fact, we have a very collaborative executive team. Everyone behaved in that manner. So it's an environment where innovation and new ideas are welcomed. Right. It's a huge part of it because I'll, we'll encounter organizations where you can feel the trepidation of employees afraid to make a mistake and innovation can't you can't foster innovation in an environment like that because with, for innovation, you can't be afraid to try something and make a mistake. Obviously, in a healthcare setting, you have to do it in a controlled manner where it's not going to cost someone their life, but you still have to be willing to take that leap of faith. You do indeed. I like to say those ideas are often welcomed. We try and fail fast collectively. And often something that's happened with us is we've come back and revisited and innovation because it may not be time today and six months it is. So we'll often park something so we we'll come back and revisit that together. Yeah, it's smart. Uh, what about maybe some of the biggest challenges, Chris, you guys are facing as a, an organization today? Yeah, so we've got some strong headwinds. Yeah, obviously they apply to the healthcare industry in general, but particularly to the ABA industry. Things like depressed reimbursement rates that have not changed over the years. Frontline worker retention and attrition and frontline worker burnout, particularly, right? And, and the mental health issues. We talk about that extensively in our teams and how we can address that. And then your competition. So our industry has been rife with competition since about 2018. There's lots of opportunities to deliver the kind of therapy we do both face to face and obviously via telehealth and remotely these days. So those are. All areas, for the most part, that can be addressed by, in some way, by technology, which is why what we're doing is so important. 100%. How large is your team at CARD, Chris? We have about 3,500 people at CARD. That's, most of that is made up what we call BTs, which are behavioral technicians. Then literally are the frontline workers who deliver the therapy sessions. They're supported by clinicians who usually have a master's, some clinical aspect. So they provide the supervision, they build the treatment plans and oversee the therapy that are provided. 
And then we offer that therapy across 130 locations across the US. Got it. Wow. That's substantial. How about some of the best practices you and your team follow to support this environment? Yeah, there's a couple I like to call out, David. One is, and this is one I've espoused every company I've been at and every role I've been in, is you've got to be out in the field. And what I mean by that is you've got to be a real person to those on the front line, right? And so when I go out and visit, I'm renowned for dropping in on our centers across the country. I think I'm the most traveled person in our organization, apart from our VP of operations. And what I do is I spend time in those centers and I spend time educating them about what's going on in the organization. I sit in the rooms with them, right? Sitting therapy sessions. And I want to experience what they're experiencing. For one, right, it's meaningful with seeing the successes they're having with our patients. But two is the challenges they have and how we can address those. I'll give another quick story. One of my early roles in IT leadership, our CEO, he was fantastic. And he felt very strongly that his executive team didn't know what was going on in the field. He had this special day. It was a sales day. And he said, every one of you is going to go out to a location. Now, this was a staffing company. So we did commercial and technical staffing for companies locally. And he said, I've already assigned you a location. You're going to go and sit in that location. And you're going to help the manager do their work that day. So I got there and she said, Chris, your job today is eight accounts. You're going to call these eight accounts. And I want you to build our book of business. There are eight existing accounts. I want you to see if you can grow those accounts. I can't do sales, right? I don't know anything about building a book of business, but I took on the challenge. So I called eight locations. I think probably three didn't answer. I couldn't get anyone on the phone. The first three were very unhappy about the services we're already providing and just took it upon themselves to say, I don't want to talk about new service. Let me tell you about the issues I have today. And I'm very unhappy. I want someone to come and talk to you. I think the next person said, I'm okay, but I want a rate reduction and I'm not interested in new services. We got to the end of the day and she said, well, how do you do? Well, I got no new service, no new services sold, nothing. And in fact, I think I may have gone backwards. And she said, what, well, how did you do with getting that data in the system? During the day, we had this system, which everyone used to put the data in the system. The frustrations, I would, I would put through some data entry, the system would crash or I'd lose my data. and I'd heard about these issues with the CIO back in my office, but I didn't realize they were that severe. So, you know, I witnessed a day where I was not very successful as a frontline worker, and I had to suffer the issues that we provided them with the tools they had from a technology perspective. Learning for me is you have to be out there and you have to be doing what they're doing and understanding the challenges, both from a business and a technology perspective that you and your counterparts have. The second best practice I like to use is communication. I'm a strong believer that if you over-communicate, even bad news, it helps to buy in, right? So when my team's doing stuff, whether it's a project go live or we have an outage or anything like that, the first thing we talk about is what's the communication, right? Has it gone out? Have we told people what's going on? Have we given them the workarounds, et cetera? And that has built significant buy-in support from the teams, even when things go wrong. I think... Over-communicating yeah, really helps build that bond with your constituents. Yeah, I agree on both counts. And it just makes a lot of sense. On the first piece, when we're designing solutions for the patient or for the, the consumer or the client, 
getting that perspective is just crucial. I feel so often you see technologists try to slap a technology solution in and then sell it to people. This is going to, this is going to be great. Here's why, as opposed to sitting on that side and then working backwards from there, which I think certain companies like Apple are very good at. In regard to your second point, I think about it's so crucial. Every time we've over-communicated when there's an issue, that's all people want. And I think about my own experience, for example, with Delta. Things don't always go well with flights, right? It just happens. But they're very communicative. And I appreciate that. I really do. They really over-communicate. And they have a great, really great customer experience. So, Yeah, I agree. So... Last question on card, Chris, and I have just a couple more questions for you would be, I mean, you already touched on a couple of the really innovative things you guys are doing surrounding VR, any other innovative technologies that you're excited about that are on the horizon for the organization? Yeah, for sure. These are not necessarily groundbreaking considering they're out there, but I think AI and machine learning, you have a lot of applicability to us. We capture obviously a lot of data how to leverage that data to improve treatment plans, to improve the therapy and use learnings from prior treatments, obviously on an anonymized and aggregated basis, but I think that's important. One of the other areas we're excited about is robotics. Initially, I was looking at robotics as a potential solution to our staffing issues, which was probably pie in the sky, right? We're not there yet, but I was thinking we could put a roguelite in front of a, a kiddo and help them with their therapy. But in reality, there are schools already doing that with a therapist or a teacher with a robot by their side co-presenting content and the really amazing thing about that right most kids love robots right it's just they've got an affinity to robots so right off the bat it builds a bond with a therapist and the robot giving it and they like to play with that robot we've been in conversations with a robotics company again who works in our field who's actually been successful at building not just the robots, but curated content that could support things like autism therapy. Super cool. And I was actually going to ask you next, where do you see the industry going in the future? And what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? But I, this definitely sounds like some of them. Any, anything else that you would add to that? Yeah, I think so, David. So I used to work in the airline industry, as you know, and one of the challenges we had is always ensuring that the agent dealing with the passenger could keep eye contact. And it, you know, it hasn't really been that successful in that industry, right? Very often you head down on a keyboard and you're trying to keep con- eye contact with the passenger, but you can't. We have a similar instance where our clinicians are trying to take session notes at the same time they're delivering therapy to their kids. And bear in mind, there can be some behavioral issues in these sessions, right? And they have to be very mindful of that, some very dangerous behavioral issues. The moment you take your eye off that session, like creates potential risk. I'm pretty excited about the integration of some of the technologies coming, particularly from AI, with like some of the whisper technology where you can actually listen to the session notes and integrate it into engines like ChatGPT and actually get a synthesis and summary of a session where the clinician can then pay much more attention to the therapy session and their patients. So I think things like that could be significant game changes to the way we deliver therapy. Yeah, 100%. I'm really excited about that as well. We're seeing some young examples of that. Always 
with the understanding that in healthcare, we have to be particularly careful as we start to introduce AI. I was having this conversation in London with Microsoft actually about how we just want to make sure that either A, if the correspondence is with the patient, that we have 100% confidence in the answer that's going back to them, or if it's in the instance where it's internal, that we have a clinician who's reviewing those notes after the fact to make sure that they're in alignment with what was that actually said. Yeah, exactly. For us, we have some added challenges, right? For us, it's not necessarily a quiet, closed patient doctor environment, right? They're often chaotic. There's other kids making noise in the background. So you'll be very careful in terms of how that voice data is captured and if it's done correctly. Yeah, that's another consideration for sure. But the cool part is, right, it's continuously improving as the days pass. You know, it's wild. Absolutely. Chris, I've enjoyed our conversation so much. Last question for you would be just if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, I think for me, so I was lucky enough, as I mentioned, I was a language major when I was growing up. I had the opportunity to live and work in different cultures and different locations, you know, France, Germany, UK. I spent some time in Poland, in, in Russia, in Italy. And I really enjoyed those. And for me, I really value understanding different cultures and making sure I understand them. My kids have learned that from me and they've cast the net far wider, right? Asia, South America. I think for me is I wish I'd cast my own net wider when I was younger like them, but I really respect what they're doing. And I'm actually running the coattails of my youngest son next year when he goes to South America. I'm going to join him on some of his trip down there. Super cool. I think that's great for... Americans to hear too, because I feel like so often we're so insular and maybe we go on vacation in a one place, but I'm going to look to do the same. We're going to, I'm going to be going to, I went to London, the UK for the first time last month, later this year, I'm going to go back to the UK, but then I'm going to take it a step further and go to India, the Indo-Pacific region, Taiwan, Vietnam. So I'm pretty excited about that. Fantastic. That'll be a great trip. Great advice. I'm really excited to learn about their cultures as well. So Chris, it was an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, David, and appreciate it. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.